0: Section 19 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book Two by John Calvin. Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter Nine Christ, though known to the Jews under the law, yet only manifested under the Gospel. There are three principal heads in this chapter. 1. Preparatory to a consideration of the knowledge of Christ and the benefits procured by him, the first and second sections are occupied with the dispensation of this knowledge, which, after the manifestation of Christ in the flesh, was more clearly revealed than under the law. 2. A refutation of the profane dream of Servetus, that the promises are entirely abrogated, section 3. Likewise, a refutation of those who do not properly compare the law with the gospel, section 4. 3. A necessary and brief exposition of the ministry of John Baptist, which occupies an intermediate place between the law and the gospel. Sections 1. The Holy Fathers under the law saw the day of Christ, though obscurely. He is more fully revealed to us under the gospel a reason for this confirmed by the testimony of Christ and his apostles. 2. The term gospel, used in its most extensive sense, comprehends the attestations of mercy which God gave to the fathers. Properly, however, it means the promulgation of grace exhibited in the God-man, Jesus Christ. 3. The notion of servetus, that the promises are entirely abolished, refuted why we must still trust to the promises of God, another reason, solution of a difficulty. 4. Refutation of those who do not properly compare the law and the gospel, answer to certain questions here occurring, the law and the gospel briefly compared. 5. Third part of the chapter of the ministry of John the Baptist. 1. Since God was pleased and not in vain, to testify in ancient times by means of expiations and sacrifices that he was a father, and to set apart for himself a chosen people, he was doubtless known even then in the same character in which he is now fully revealed to us. Accordingly Malachi, having enjoined the Jews to attend to the law of Moses, because after his death there was to be an interruption of the prophetical office, immediately after declares that the Son of righteousness should arise. Malachi 4.2 Thus intimating, that though the law had the effect of keeping the pious in expectation of the coming Messiah, there was ground to hope for much greater light on his advent. For this reason, Peter, speaking of the ancient prophets, says, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, 1 Peter one twelve, Not that the prophetical doctrine was useless to the ancient people, or unavailing to the prophets themselves, but that they did not obtain possession of the treasure which God has transmitted to us by their hands. The grace of which they testified is now set familiarly before our eyes. They had only a slight foretaste, to us is given a fuller fruition. Our Savior, accordingly, while he declares that Moses testified of him, extols the superior measure of grace bestowed upon us, John 5, 46. Addressing his disciples, he says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Matthew 13.16, Luke 10.23 It is no small commendation of the gospel revelation that God has preferred us to holy men of old, so much distinguished for piety. There is nothing in this view inconsistent with another passage in which our Savior says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. John 8.56 for though the event being remote, his view of it was obscure, he had full assurance that it would one day be accomplished, and hence the joy which the holy patriarch experienced even to his death. Nor does John Baptist, when he says, No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him, John 1.18, exclude the pious who had previously died, from a participation in the knowledge and light which are manifested in the person of Christ. But comparing their condition with ours, he intimates that the mysteries which they only beheld dimly under shadows are made clear to us, as is well explained by the author of the epistle to the Hebrews in these words, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Hence, although this only begotten Son, who is now to us the brightness of his Father's glory and the express image of his person, was formerly made known to the Jews, as we have elsewhere shown from Paul, that he was the deliverer under the old dispensation. It is nevertheless true, as Paul himself elsewhere declares, that, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.6 Because when he appeared in this his image, he in a manner made himself visible, his previous appearance having been shadowy and obscure. More shameful and more detestable, therefore, is the ingratitude of those who walk blindfold in this meridian light. Accordingly, Paul says that quote, the God of this world has blinded their minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. Second Corinthians 4:4. 4, 4. Two, by the gospel I understand the clear manifestation of the mystery of Christ. I confess indeed that, inasmuch as the term gospel is applied by Paul to the doctrine of faith, Second Timothy 4:10 it includes all the promises by which God reconciles men to himself, and which occur throughout the law. For Paul there opposes faith to those terrors which vex and torment the conscience when salvation is sought by means of works. Hence it follows that gospel, taken in a large sense, comprehends the evidences of mercy and paternal favor which God bestowed on the patriarchs. Still, by way of excellence, it is applied to the promulgation of the grace manifested in Christ. This is not only founded on general use, but has the sanction of our Savior and his apostles. Hence it is described as one of his peculiar characteristics that he preached the gospel of the kingdom, Matthew 4.23, 9.35, Mark 1.14. Mark, in his preface to the gospel, calls it, quote, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, end quote. There is no use of collecting passages to prove what is already perfectly known. Christ at His advent quote, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 2 Timothy one ten, Paul does not mean by these words that the fathers were plunged in the darkness of death before the Son of God became incarnate, but he claims for the gospel the honorable distinction of being a new and extraordinary kind of embassy by which God fulfilled what He had promised these promises being realized in the person of the son for though believers have at all times experienced the truth of paul's declaration that all the promises of god in him are yea and amen inasmuch as these promises were sealed upon their hearts yet because he has in his flesh completed all the parts of our salvation this vivid manifestation of realities was justly entitled to this new and special distinction Accordingly, Christ says, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. For though he seems to allude to the latter which the patriarch Jacob saw in vision, he commends the excellence of his advent in this, that it opened the gate of heaven and gave us familiar access to it. 3. Here we must guard against the diabolical imagination of servetus, who, from a wish, or at least the pretence of a wish, to extol the greatness of Christ, abolishes the promises entirely, as if they had come to an end at the same time with the law. He pretends that by the faith of the gospel all the promises have been fulfilled, as if there was no distinction between us and Christ. I lately observed that Christ had not left any part of our salvation incomplete, but from this it is erroneously inferred that we are now put in possession of all the blessings purchased by him, thereby implying that Paul was incorrect in saying, quote, We are saved by hope, Romans 3.24. I admit, indeed, that by believing in Christ we pass from death unto life, but we must at the same time remember the words of John, that though we know we are the sons of God, quote, It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. First John 3, 2 Therefore, although Christ offers us in the gospel a present fullness of spiritual blessings, fruition remains in the keeping of hope, until we are divested of corruptible flesh, and transformed into the glory of him who has gone before us. Meanwhile, in leaning on the promises, we obey the command of the Holy Spirit, whose authority ought to have weight enough with us to silence all the barkings of that impure dog. We have it on the testimony of Paul that, Godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. First Timothy 4.8 For which reason he glories in being, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1.1 and he elsewhere reminds us that we have the same promises which were given to the saints in ancient time, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. In fine, he makes the sum of our felicity consist in being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Indeed, we have no enjoyment of Christ unless by embracing him as clothed with his own promises. Hence it is that he indeed dwells in our hearts, and yet we are as pilgrims in regard to him, because, quote, we walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. There is no inconsistency in the two things, that is, that in Christ we possess everything pertaining to the perfection of the heavenly life, and yet that faith is only a vision, quote, of things not seen, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Only there is this difference to be observed in the nature or quality of the promises, that the gospel points with the finger to what the law shadowed under types. 4. Hence also we see the error of those who, in comparing the law with the gospel, represent it merely as a comparison between the merit of works and the gratuitous imputation of righteousness. The contrast thus made is by no means to be rejected, because by the term law, Paul frequently understands that rule of holy living in which God exacts what is his due, giving no hope of life unless we obey in every respect, and, on the other hand, denouncing a curse for the slightest failure. This Paul does when showing that we are freely accepted of God and accounted righteous by being pardoned, because that obedience of the law to which the reward is promised is nowhere to be found. Hence he appropriately represents the righteousness of the law and the gospel as opposed to each other. But the gospel has not succeeded the whole law in such a sense as to introduce a different method of salvation. It rather confirms the law and proves that everything which it promised is fulfilled. What was shadow, it has made substance. When Christ says that the law and the prophets were until John, he does not consign the fathers to the curse, which, as the slaves of the law, they could not escape. He intimates that they were only imbued with the rudiments and remained far beneath the height of the gospel doctrine. Accordingly, Paul, after calling the gospel, quote, the power of God unto salvation of every one that believeth, end quote, shortly after adds that it was, quote, witnessed by the law and the prophets, Romans 1.16, 3.21 and in the end of the same epistle, though he describes, quote, the preaching of Jesus Christ, end quote, as, quote, the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, end quote, he modifies the expression by adding that it is, quote, now made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets. Romans 16:25 and 26. Hence we infer that when the whole law is spoken of, the gospel differs from it only in respect of clearness of manifestation. Still, on account of the inestimable riches of grace set before us in Christ, there is good reason for saying that by his advent the kingdom of heaven was erected on the earth. Matthew 12, verse 28. 5. John stands between the law and the gospel, holding an intermediate office allied to both for though he gave a summary of the gospel when he pronounced Christ to be, quote, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, end quote, yet, inasmuch as he did not unfold the incomparable power and glory which shone forth in his resurrection, Christ says that he was not equal to the apostles. For this is the meaning of the words, quote, Among them that are born of woman there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding, He that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Matthew 11, verse 28. He is not there commending the persons of men, but after preferring John to all the prophets, he gives the first place to the preaching of the gospel, which is elsewhere designated by the kingdom of heaven. When John himself, in answer to the Jews, says that he is only, a voice, John 1, verse 23, as if he were inferior to the prophets, it is not in pretended humility, but he means to teach that the proper embassy was not entrusted to him, that he only performed the office of a messenger, as had been foretold by Malachi. Quote, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, Malachi 4, 5. And indeed, during the whole course of his ministry, he did nothing more than prepare disciples for Christ. He even proves from Isaiah that this was the office to which he was divinely appointed. In this sense, he is said by Christ to have been, quote, a burning and a shining light, John 5, 35, because full day had not yet appeared. And yet this does not prevent us from classing him among the preachers of the gospel, since he used the same baptism which was afterwards committed to the apostles. Still, however, He only began that which had freer course under the Apostles, after Christ was taken up into the heavenly glory. End of section 19